Hello again, this is On Mike with Jordan. Getting to hang out with great pals is one of the primo benefits of doing a podcast like this, where conversation matters, where fellow human beings connect, cajole, commiserate, come together. Today, a treat for many fans of a wonderful guy with a long history in talk radio. His name is Dick Syatt. Dick and I first met back around 1980 at WRKO in Boston, which had just switched formats from Top 40 to All Talk. Don't forget, this was AM radio. And Dick was part of the all-star lineup that included Jerry Williams and David Brudnoy, two legends that we've talked about here in the podcast. Well, Dick Syatt's style is a lot like mine. Lifestyle-based, with showbiz personalities, restaurateurs, pop culture enthusiasts, writers, philosophers, and so often the lovable, wacky, everyday folks that make life interesting. Dick was also known nationwide for having created the first and most popular radio dating show ever. It was called Hotline, and this is all well before online matching. Dick was enabling love connections like no one else. His laugh and smile are infectious, his love of people contagious. So I am really thrilled to welcome an old buddy, Dick Syatt, to join us on Mike. So, you know, Jordan, I've known you since 1981, and, and we both, you know, had a lot of adventures, but I'm just a little concerned. Do you think we'll have enough to talk about for 15 minutes? I've got six pages of typewritten questions, and I, I think if I think I'm going to throw them away because just seeing you and seeing that big smile on your face, we've got stories to tell, you and me, and oh, some yeah, reminiscence. You know, everything is going to remind me of something else, but <laughs> when you said six pages of typewritten notes, when I was still in high school, I, I had a talk show on WLYN. Yes. And uh, I invited uh, Eddie Andelman and his partner of the sports huddle. I can't think of it right now. And they actually came to the studio in Lynn. You know, they were the hottest talk show in, in Boston at the time. They came to LYN. And of course, I had all the papers, you know, all my questions. And I think I'm, it was Eddie that looked over, saw the notes, and, and took them and crumpled them up. He said, look, <laughs> you want to be a good talk show host? He says, you listen to your guests. He said, don't ask questions you wrote two days ago. Uh, that's so, brilliant advice. And by the way, if memory serves, Mark Whitkin and Jim McCarthy. Am I right? Yeah, th- those names sound uh, uh, familiar. Uh, yes, they sound familiar. I don't know which... Only two came. Oh, okay. I don't know who okay. the other one was. Ed, Eddie, by the way, who's famous, Eddie's famous in New England for, for really launching that sports group mentality uh, talk show thing, the sports huddle, is uh, still doing well, and uh, he shares a love of our favorite restaurant in Everett, I Massachusetts. Knew, yes, <laughs> I, I know. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? The 810 Grill. Everybody check it out. Yes. So, Dick, um, there's a lot of things I do want to cover. None, none of these are written down. I don't need to. I do want to talk about you as a, as a kid loving radio, as I certainly have. I remember hearing stories about you calling celebrities from your bedroom. One, I seem to remember uh, there was a stooge or two in your past. Am I correct? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, I... I this is it's all part, I guess, of the same story. But I grew up in Lynn and I was in junior high school and I found Larry Glick. And it, my life never was the same. It was hmm. always different after that time. And and uh, so I could tell you about meeting Larry and the effect that he had. But um, uh, he had Mo Howard on. 
um, one night and I called Muck. You know, my, uh, Ken, Ken Meyer, Meyer Ken Meyer, dear him. friend, dear friend. Yes. Right, right, right. And I called him and he gave me Mo's number. <laughs> and, 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 and you know, <laughs> I love these, you know, these old memories, but in my bedroom, you probably did the same thing with alligator clips on the telephone yes. with the wires went. I hooked that into my cassette recorder and I called Mo's number and a woman answered and I said, Mo Howard, please. She said, yes, just a minute. Dad! <laughs> and Mo Howard came on the phone. We talked about 20 minutes and... and um, uh, <laughs> two things. Uh, one was, you know, your plots. Mo, uh, he, he sang B-A-B, B-A-B, oh. B-A-B. He sang it to me. And I'm, you know, I'm, how old was I? 17 or whatever. But, you know, I, I said, so, uh, Three Blind Mice. How how'd you come up with that as a theme song? He says, who cares about theme songs? <laughs> but that's like being in the presence of uh, Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle when you're a Dick Syed or a Jordan Rich at 17. I mean, we live for that. And and that really is, is indicative of your career, going after big names and fascinating people. You know, I really did at that same time, still living in Lynn, I remember... I re- Gary Owens, you know, from laughing, you know, the famous love him. Oh, Gary Owens. I wrote to Gary Owens. Of course, we had no technology, but I, I asked him if I could send him questions and he would record the answers. He did. And, you know, I don't have that tape anymore, but over the years, I would use it and just change my voice asking the questions <laughs> because I was older and more experienced. Right. But, uh, you know, Gary Owens, I, I wrote to and received a beautiful personal response from George Burns um, and, and and on and on and on. And so that when, you know, being a talk show host and <laughs> being your own producer and all that, um, one of my favorite examples, I was in Dallas at this point. And I watch TV and I see a commercial for uh, Sugar Frosted Flakes with Tony the Tiger. And I want to have Tony, I want him on. So I actually called Kellogg's in Battle Creek. You know, those are the days when a receptionist answered the phone. And uh, I asked, uh, you know, if I could interview the voice of Tony the Tiger. She said, oh, he, he's not here. He works out of our agency in New York. Here's the number. Anyway, within two days, Thurl. Ravenscroft. Yes. Uh, the voice of Tony the Tiger. And if you go to Disney World, he, you know, if, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean, it's his voice. Yo, ho, yo. Ho. Anyway, so we did the interview. And of course, I asked every celebrity to, you know, record a promo. So he recorded, Hi, this is Tony the Tiger. And whenever I'm in Dallas, I listen to Dick Syatt. He's great. <laughs> You know, can you get any, you know, nah. what's that expression? Stick a fork in me. I'm di- I'm done. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, it, it, it just, uh, uh, Gl- yes. Uh, those skills, you know, I, I learned them, you know, on my own. And like when I was on RKO and we knew each other in, in 1981, I wanted to have Frank Jafrida, the Hilltop Steakhouse. I wanted to have Frank Jafrida on. 
And of course, he didn't do any interviews. He was completely private. And so I started just saying on the air, you know, it's time for the news, WRKO, we'll be back in a minute. And by the way, Frank Jafrida, please come on my show. <laughs> and I would do it all sorts of crazy times. One afternoon, I'm in my apartment on Newbury Street, and I, you know, get a call. This young woman, whatever her name was, Catherine Jafrida. She said, my uncle would like to see you. And I went to the hilltop, was uh, ushered into his office, sat at his desk, which overlooked the uh, butcher shop, so he could see people shopping. It was a two-way mirror. And um, I was with him three or four times. So anyway, so yes, the, the those skills of just saying, hmm, I'd like to have that one on. <laughs> and, and this is it. this is pre-internet and pre-email. It's the, you had to do it the old-fashioned way. Let me just do one thing because yeah. the podcast is going internationally. There are people listening to us in Bangkok right now. So Lynn is a suburb city north of Boston, a real great community, you know, neighborhood. Uh, hard scrabble, blue collar, some white collar, but a great neighborhood north of the city. Um, the Hilltop Steakhouse was famous for great steaks, but what else? Are the cows in front? Plastic cows. <laughs> right, 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 right. It, it, in the, it, it was the largest. I think it, you'll you'll back this up. It was consistently the highest grossing restaurant in America in yeah. those uh, days. Yeah. And um, it was always a you know a ninety minute wait, two and a half hour wait. And they had different course, different rooms, and the the hostess was great. You know, Dodge City party of four. You love those right. accents. You know? <laughs> right, right, yeah. exactly, exactly. And and, and just um, another point of reference, you mentioned Larry Glick, and just for folks who are outside of the thirty eight states in Canada, Larry did the uh, late night show on WBZ, and he worked at WMEX, also a Boston. Uh, favorite station, and he was it is a radio legend, and we'll talk further about him. Uh, I'm sure, sure. As, we, as we go along. Um, let's talk about uh, the the hours you worked, because if, if memory serves, you did old late night shows for a while before you came to Boston. Am I right about that? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, in my first, you know, major job uh, in Miami, I was on a- uh, afternoon drive at three to six, um, and when I went to Dallas. Uh, they originally put me on overnights, which, again, you know, for for those of you that don't know Larry Glick on YouTube, there there are recordings. He was, you know, he was a pioneer talk show host, but he he had a remarkable uh, uh, personality. So mm. when they gave me overnights in Dallas, that gave me my chance to emulate, not copy, but emulate my hero, Larry Glick. And it was uh, very, you know, the, it went over well. And, and they put, then they, they put me on eight to midnight. And, yeah. uh, you know, over the years, I would do certain different things overnight. I actually even filled in for uh, Dave Maynard uh, on BZ, um, which, you know, is uh, um, a, a thrill when you grow up listening to it and you know, being with Larry in the studio. So, yeah. yeah. So I, uh, sorry, when, uh, uh, apparently, uh, just so your listeners know that 
um, Jordan doesn't have to worry about one word answers. Like, you know, did you work <laughs> late nights? Uh-huh. I'm happy to have you with me, my friend. It's great to be reunited. Uh, I did want to mention that you said it in 1981 is when WRKO in Boston, which was a top 40 AM powerhouse station, shifted as as they should have at that time to talk and information. And you were part of the the really stellar lineup that featured uh, Gene Burns, who's no longer here with us. Uh, Actually, no, no, no. Gene replaced me four oh, or five years ago. I'm so sorry, but okay. Oh, Harry, no, no, don't, don't be sorry. Harry, but, and that's my a chronology. funny story about how I heard he was replacing me. So you, if you want to ask me. Ask All right, me I'll, I'll note that. I'll note that. It, it ha- was, um, it was uh, uh, Jerry. Like a Norm, Nathan, and, and you. And right? me. Right. Yeah. And then there was me, Harry Sobel, Jerry Williams, David Brudnoy. That's right. That's right. That's right. So um, before we get to that wonderful show you did and the the singles hotline, what did you find out uh, that your your neck was on the line? How did you find that out that Gene Burns was coming to replace? You said Gene Burns. Oh, okay. All right. So this is, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm doing my. A dating show, which Jordan will we, and I will we'll talk about that. Uh, obviously, talk about. But you know, I, I was um, I was on Monday through Friday from uh, uh, ten to noon, and then Saturday with the dating show, and things are going great, and I'm happy, and all this. And uh, you may remember that I I was and am a huge Disney fan, and over the years in all the cities I worked. You know, I was lucky enough to be invited, as as uh, uh, people in the media are. I was invited uh, to all the Disney openings, the Grand Floridian when they opened, and, you know, this anniversary and that anniversary. So a trip was coming up, and I called the marketing office at Walt Disney World. And of course, I'll, I'll, I'll forget his name, but uh, it's not important. Anyway, so I'm talking about my next trip. And someone said, hold on, uh, Bob Irvine, maybe, I don't know. It, anyway, so-and-so wants to talk to you. So I, uh, uh, so he gets on the phone. He says, hey, buddy, how you doing? So I just want to tell you, I just want to say that um, uh, I want you to take real good care of my buddy Gene Burns when he comes oh. to WRKO. Oh, boy. And I said, oh, when's he going to be on? He said, I don't know. Hold on. He must have called Gene and he comes back on the line. And he says, I'm sorry to tell you, old friend, but it's your show. <laughs> That's how I uh, found out that I was, you know, they were relieving me of not the total. They let me keep the dating show, which was a, a great thing. But uh, anyway, that's how I found out I, I was. So I called Dan Griffin, who was the general manager at WRKO and ultimately became one of my closest friends. And I called him and I told him what happened. He said, oh, oh Warren, come in and see me. Because no, 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 no. uh, you talk know, about Dan. He was, uh, he was and, Marines, and, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Wasn't he Marine or Army? You know, he, he could have been. I believe he was. He and was. I would have lunch once a month. And, and, and when I'd come back, my neck hurt because he was a soft talker. Isn't that what Seinfeld was called? <laughs> he, he was a soft talker. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, if you wanted to pay attention, you really had to zero in. But anyway, well, they let me keep the dating show, and 
And, you know, so I, yes, I was let, very lucky. But let, that's how I found out. Before we get to what was the hottest show in Boston, without question, the, the hotline show with Dick Syatt, I want to talk about the two-hour show that you did, 10 to, was it 10 to noon? Noon, on 10 to noon, yes. Because uh, what's missing today is that kind of radio. It was, it was not issues and fighting and battling. It was, it was conversation about lifestyle, about dining, about uh, you had the greatest guest, Al Lewis, Grandpa Munster was a frequent guest. Oh my God, guest. you remember that? Leo yes, Bascalia, Doctor Love, Leo Bascalia loved him. Uh, talk a little bit about the the format and and how much of it was you because it seems to me that that was you doing that show. Oh, it yes, that was you know I've been very lucky with the singles parties and all this. I I really had a wonderful uh, career that for better or worse, you know, some people sometimes people don't like you or things don't work out. So it certainly wasn't. Everybody loves me all the time, and I had a rosy career with no problems. But, uh, but that show, I didn't even, uh, you know, I, I had nothing to go back on. I, I had a previous experience. But anyway, I would call phone booths and wait for someone to walk by and answer the phone and have a whole thing with the stranger who answered a payphone. And, and, and I'd have all the best chefs on from all the restaurants. And my producer, when she would uh, set it up, would say to them, Bring food because <laughs> Dick will talk about it, and and and, oh, yeah. and it makes for good radio. Yeah. What she didn't say was, please bring food because all the engineers and support staff from the whole station come to when you I, arrive with the food. I I I patterned my whole life after you then because that was my <laughs> that was my my twenty. I did that all the time. Now, uh, what I really really wanted to focus on is the relationship that you had with some of these amazing people and the callers, but also the relationship you had in life with your dad. I mean, that was some of the nicest, warmest, most entertaining radio when when your dad, Max, would come on with you. And I remember uh, later when I started working at BZ Overnight, I invited my dad on when we did baseball shows. Talk a little bit about your 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 father, the character that he was, and, and why that worked so well in the format. Yeah, I, I, I'm so lucky, Jordan, because I, I, I have a 97-year-old Aunt Ida, my father's sister, who lives 10 minutes from me here in Florida. And so we talk twice a day, and I see her all the time. And, and, um, and, and we talk a lot about Max. Um, and and I, I said to her recently that he thought of me like I was Judy Garland. He he just couldn't be more proud and all this. So when I, you know, we did everything together and, and I just had a, I could we could do a separate series of podcasts just on him. <clears throat> but when I found Larry Glick at 14 or so, he was a dry cleaner, uh, you know, pressing clothes and all this. Mm. He would work all day, come home, have dinner and wake me up at 11 o'clock at night and take me into WMEX, uh, you know, in, in, in their studios. We rang the bell, and who opens the door but Larry Glick? Uh-huh. And so, anyway, my dad, we loved uh, old-time music. As a matter of fact, my very first radio show on WLYN 
was called Old Timers Night. I was 16 with the name <laughs> of the show Old Timers Night. I played Al Jolson and Big Band. Oh, that's, all that's, this, all, you're, you're speaking all my language. Stuff. Speaking my language, yeah. man. Love and, it. And again, this is, this is about my dad, but Jimmy Durante was performing uh, on Route 9. Uh, it, it then became a Chateau de Ville. I don't, it wasn't Blinstrup's. That was Monticello's. Monticello's or uh, yeah, 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 one of those. Monticello's. Yeah. Anyway, we had no money. My father didn't have a penny. Anyway, we, but I remember, you know, the show is going on. There are thousands of people having dinner before the show, but we didn't have a ticket. I didn't know any different. So we watched from the glass up in the other side of the glass door, Jimmy Durante performing with um, um, uh, with, with his crew. The next thing I know, we're backstage. Jimmy Durante comes and puts both hands on my face and says, "God bless you." Oh wow! And 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 got all of his chorus girls to stand against the wall with me. I was 14, 15, something like that. So, you know, my dad was my biggest fan, but he, he just was a an extraordinary soul of what he wanted to give me yeah. and the relationship well, I, I, I just want to herald the fact that it really did show. It was sincere. It was funny as hell, but it was also touching and really sweet. And uh, that was that was a takeaway among all the other things. And and we have to get to it now. The hottest show in Boston for several years was a Saturday morning show called Hotline with Dick Syatt. But the and it, and I'll have you explain what that was. But were you into the singles scene, doing dances and parties and hosting before that, or was, did it all happen at the same time? In while I was a talk show host in Dallas, driving to the station one night, you know, I'm sure we you go through. We, everybody in radio goes through the same thing. You drive in and you're con- you're thinking, okay, let's well, talk about gun control. I'll talk about the abortion. I'll talk about the, this. And I I had an idea to do a talk show for single people that they would call in and describe themselves and the type of person they want to meet. Um, it, you know, in my mind back then, it was it was like the swap radio. Remember, people would call in and say, oh, I have a desk and I like it. <laughs> so I somehow thought I'd do that with people. Uh, it was, you know, in 1976. So believe me, there was no match. There was no e-harmony. There was, you know, it was nothing. It may be in the back of your newspaper. There were some personal ads, which yeah. you would have to write a letter and, and mail it. So anyway, I, I had this idea driving in um, and I opened the show with my idea. And I talked and talked and talked and talked uh, about the single show. So I talked for one hour with not one phone call. Come back from the news. And uh, I said, Okay, you know, some topics make it, some don't. If you're not interested, fine, we'll do something else. But if you if you think it's a good idea, please don't hesitate because I'll drop it. Anyway, the phones lit up and I did the the radio dating show in Dallas. Uh, I did one or two parties, but, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, so when I came to um, uh, WRKO in 1981, um, they said to me, 
the, the general manager said to me as I was signing that, you know, the, the, the tissue paper contract that I had, uh, he said, oh, oh, by the way, because they told me you're going to be on Monday to Friday. And as I'm signing, he says, oh, by the way, you're on Saturday, too, from 10 to 2. And I said, can I do my dating show? He says, I don't give a damn what you do. He says, talk flowers. You're on Saturday, too. <laughs> so uh, the reason that that is significant in my life is a couple of years later, I was, you know, the New York Times did a story on me. I was on Phil Donahue. I was on Good Morning mm. America. And when they interviewed the general manager of WRKO about my success, he said, that's why we hired him. Yeah. We brought him in to do the dating show. I, I think I remember that general manager. His name will remain off the podcast, but I think I know who you're talking about because I was there at the time. So this became the thing. And I would listen. I was not single. I didn't have any interest in meeting anyone, but it was it was so fascinating from a psychological point of view. And the the, the joke, the running joke was Dick Syatt saying, uh, please, more than just walks on the beach and bowling. Uh, explain that, if you would. <laughs> oh, sure. Well, you know, again, this was, you know, I'm not saying I invented singles things, but it was the first radio show to do this. Um, and, you know, I, I would, I had a... Nothing was written down, but I asked, you know, what do you look like? Do you have a beard? Um, uh, have you been married before? What kind of restaurants do you like? And 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 people would uh, would would say that they like to walk along the beach, <laughs> which is a funny story because every caller said that they like to walk along the beach. Well, after years of hearing this, I did a live remote uh from Nahant on on RKO and of course you know how many people are walking along the beach two or three couples <laughs> so that became like a real you know, so, that's so true when do you walk along the beach because I was there yesterday and there were two couples and a dog you, I I imagined that there would be like stanchions or ropes dividing <laughs> people and stand to the left <laughs> from because they, <laughs> because everybody said they walked yeah, along the beach. Yeah. So anyway, what you're what you're referring to are some of the 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 funny um, and, and and crazy things people would say. The other one was this is great. What do you like to do? Walk along the beach. Mm -hmm. Bowling. Yeah. So, you know, I had also I had parties and restaurants and amusement parks and Disney World. And so I um, I had this idea. I'm going to have a singles bowling party. And I found a bowling alley right off the expressway in Dorchester. There's a big bowling alley. And I did all of the, uh, the, the 10,000 invitations and commercials. And I promoted it. And I, because the bowling industry was starting to gurgle at that time the, the bowling nobody bowled um but i thought wow i'm gonna revitalize bowling and i saw my picture on the cover of bowling magazine and um and anyway the night of the promotion 14 people came that was it <laughs> I, I, I noted something i wrote down pt barnum because there's a lot of that, let's do a show, let's come up with an idea that was, you, you know, you did these spur-of-the-moment things that were not just spur-of-the-moment, you thought them out, but they either worked or they didn't. Most of them worked, but I love that. Let's just remind people, though, that you had quite a few success stories from the dating show, didn't you? 
Oh, oh, absolutely. A- absolutely. Oh my God. One of the, um, the first one. So I was in, I did the dating show in Dallas for two years and you know, the wedding started, uh, you know, pr- pretty quickly. And um, isn't it funny? I haven't thought of the names. Uh, the, the name doesn't matter, but I, I did know it. Not only did, anyway, the first couple to get married on hotline uh, from hotline, I was the best man at their wedding. Um, they had a do- Ron. His name was Ron. Anyway, they had a daughter named Heather in like 1977. Anyway, when I was in Boston, she was already like 35 years old. Hmm. So, uh, so yeah, so I, yeah. I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of weddings from people that met on my dating show. As a rock contour on the radio, you segued so naturally to another gig that you had for many, many years with a famous, pretty much worldwide recognized restaurant group, a family owned at the time, Legal Seafoods, which uh, if anybody has been to Boston or anywhere on the East Coast, they know it. And you worked with uh, the, well, Roger Berkowitz, who currently uh, has ceded over ownership because of the pandemic and all that. Let's put that aside. Yeah. That was a that was an interesting gig because you did all kinds of things that were Perfectly tailored to a Dick Syatt. Tell us a little bit about. Are you that. talking about when I when I worked for Legal after my radio career? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was referring to. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I met Roger. <laughs> it, it, it's just, you know what I and I'm sure you go through the same thing and all, and your listeners who are you know uh, senior citizens or that they've lived a long life. You look back at some of these events. And it's just mind boggling. Um, when I started at RKO in, in 81, you know, I talked a lot about restaurants. That was my favorite topic. Someone mentioned uh, legal seafoods. And, and, and I said, oh, that's the last place I would go to. You got to wait three and a half hours and you got to pay first. And I just was, <laughs> had no interest. Um, and Roger Roger Berkowitz, whose grandfather started Legal Seafoods and his father built on it and Roger built on it. He was relentless. And um, anyway, because of of of, of him, um, uh, we met, we had dinner, um, we became very close. Uh, and so that was in 81. It now uh, uh, shoot to uh, 2000. Yeah. The singles parties, my singles parties, which I had seven a week in big nightclubs you know, every week, all the time for 20 years. I didn't know at the time. I didn't re- know what was happening. But in the late 90s, the attendance was, you know, it was like putting up a, 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 a hole in a balloon or, or, or in your bucket and the water was coming. I couldn't understand why the parties were dying after 20 years and so successful. Um, of course, looking back on it, it was the internet. People didn't have to come to a singles party to meet when you could, you know, be in your bathrobe on your computer and meet that way. Um, anyway, so as the parties were dying, and I'm you know, a little nervous here. I mean, what? I'm not qualified to do anything. I, I have no skills that I can apply for a job. So I left a voicemail message for Roger in the middle of the night because I didn't want to disturb him. 
I left him a message about how I didn't tell him my parties were dying. I said, you know, I, I, I've always wanted to work in the restaurant business and blah, blah. Anyway, about two weeks later, he called me. He said, uh, you know where I am? I said, no. And he, he was with Lynn, his wife in um, uh, Australia. He listened to his voicemail during his trip. He said, I've been thinking of you too. And I went in anyway, he created a position for me called director of guest relations. Um, but, but which was funny because on my very first day, he walked up to me. He said, how's my minister of happiness? And I realized, can I have that title? <laughs> and, and, and he wouldn't, I want, you know, the, to me, minister of happiness. Wow. So uh, anyway, for five years, uh, I had complete, you know, Roger and I were driving because we had, they had restaurants in New York and up and down the East Coast. Roger and I are in his car driving to New York. And while we're driving, I said, we were talking about the West Wing uh, on, on NBC. And, and, you know, the, the president of Bartlett was from New Hampshire. And I saw, oh, and, and we had the presidential inaugural chowder. So I saw tie-ins between that show and us. I said, what do you think of, um, <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of uh, doing a clam bake at, at, at Warner Brothers for the entire cast and crew of the, of the West Wing? Um, a, 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 and maybe, you know, they'll mention us during the show. No, that's good. Do it. Anyway, six months later, we were, uh, we were in, in Warner Brothers uh, uh, with a clam bake with lobsters for 300 people. And, and uh, of course I had pictures taken with me, Mark Machine, Rob oh, yeah. Lowe, Dulé yeah. Hill, Brian, uh, Bradley Whitford. And uh, so, yes. Yeah, so uh, uh, that, you know, I, I had no idea this stuff was in me because I never worked for anybody else, but well, well, I, I uh, know it's in you. gave me the ability yeah. to just, fly you know it's it's like working for disney but not being in disney at the time being in a different kind of amusement park because i used to uh work with you at that point we did some promos together and you'd invite me and others in and and we'd have a great time and i kept thinking i love that minister of happiness i kept thinking this is the greatest gig in the world and it's i'm so happy for my friend dick syatt because he's doing what he loves to do schmoozing having fun with people that's that's You're your thing. You love this. Uh, uh, you know, I had lots of different things that I did, but he hired me. The m- biggest thing for him was uh, uh, touching tables, going from table to table, mm-hmm. not just saying "How's everything? Good." All right, and walking away. But you know, I, I would, I, I someone, a little kid would say, "Oh, today's my father's birthday," and I and I would go crazy and say, oh, my God, you just saved my job. My boss told me if I don't buy a, a, a dinner for the entire table of a birthday person, I could be fired. And so I would buy, you know, mm. buy the whole table dinner. And, um, it, it, <laughs> and and we had what was called at legal a gold card. You know, for the executives, when you're out, this, and, and that's how you paid for your meal. And after my first year, of having the freedom to buy anything, do anything. Uh, the uh, CFO at the time uh, called me into his office and, and he was not a fan. Roger was, but this guy <laughs> didn't see any value in what I did. A numbers guy. You know, I just want to let you know, 
that um, are, here's a, uh, what you've spent in the last 12 months on your gold card. It was $110,000. I like to think that I like to think that I was a part of that, a tiny sliver of that. Yes, yes, yes. It's funny. My son Lee worked, you know, was 16 years old. He was in the um, uh, I got him a job as a summer intern. Yeah. Yeah. And his job was to sort out the gold card receipts. You know, it was no computers. It was paper. And and, and um, anyway, he would tell me that he, he, that he go Roger, 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 uh, no Roger, Dick, 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 Roger, Roger, Dick, 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 and <laughs> that he it was he said it was hysterical that every sheet was it, my 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 uh, my charge for dinner. That's it's great. Crazy. Here's here's a terrific uh, bit of. Uh, tie-in to the whole Dick Syatt story. Didn't Larry Glick, your radio hero and friend, didn't he end up working for Legal Seafood down in Florida, doing some oh, of that kind of stuff? yes, yes. Um, uh, Boca? So Larry and I, you know, yeah. were, you know, best friends for decades. And so I told you that Roger hired me to walk around and shake hands and, and say hello and stuff. Anyway, it, it soon after I started, Roger, I remember we were in his office and I don't know, I didn't plan on it. That's the way everything worked at the time with him. I just said, you know, who'd be great at this? Larry Glick, who lived at the time in Boca and legal had a restaurant in Boca. And he, Roger, he's a big Larry Glick, huge Larry Glick fan. And um, anyway, they hired Larry to be a, the host, the greeter, um, and, uh, you know, in Boca, most of the people were either from New York or Boston. So everybody knew Larry Glick, and I would walk around with him and go table to table, and people couldn't believe it. You know, this Larry Glick, and, you know, and, and Dick Syed, this is certainly not <laughs> his league, but, but uh, it, it was, um, you know, you just think back to when I met him when I was 14, and rang the bell, and, and and now we're walking around together saying hello to the guests. He used to say, by the way, and you'll relate to this, he loved doing it. He used to say all the time that he felt like he was doing a talk show in a restaurant. He would go table to table to table, but have conversations with each one. And he, to him, it was like fielding phone calls on a talk show. Now, for those tuning in and and getting the gist that Dick Syatt and I are cut from the same cloth, we're different people, but we both share so much. We're old souls. We love uh, the old entertainers and the new, but we, we love the business of talk. And uh, there are some people who, you know, talk, 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 and don't do it for a living. Uh, we're just lucky enough to have done it for a living. <laughs> but I'd like you to, I'd like you to uh, just opine on the business that you and I love so much and, and what it, what it's meant to you and what it means to you today, because I'll tell you the, the, the greatest gift is or compliment somebody can give you is coming up and saying, you know, you really made my day when you talked about that, or you were there for me when I was alone. Just your thoughts on, on the power of this medium. Well, you know, I, I, not just because of this conversation with you, but, you know, I reflect on, you know, before social media, talk radio was, to, when I reflect, talk radio was 
social media. It gave people a chance to voice their opinion, to be an expert in whatever they were talking about. And, and, and so when I see everything, you know, on social media and stuff like that, with no filters, you know, at least I had a producer who wouldn't let a crazy, hateful person on. Uh, but now anybody can say anything any, anywhere. So I, as I reflect, I, you know, everybody, whatever you live through is your golden age. But, you know, with Larry Glick and Jerry Williams and David Brudnoy and these, these giants as they passed and radio changed and, and be, became so political, I just feel so fortunate that, that I, I really feel like I, I, I was on the air during one of the last heydays of radio and broadcasting. And, and, and you know, so many thoughts uh, come into my mind. I remember sitting on the edge of my bed in Lynn, in my bedroom, trying to get radio jobs. So what do you do? You probably did the same thing. You open the white pages, not the yellow pages, under radio, radio stations. And that's how I got jobs. I would just call and ask for a program director or a news director. And that's how I, I got job. And so it's, I, I hesitate to say that was great and now isn't because you know, I, I don't agree with that. Things change, uh, habits change, tastes change and all that. But uh, as, as far as, uh, you know, and, and my show, would never have made it, in, you know, with the pandemic and the last president and all the, my, I would never have fit in uh, because I was, you know, asking people whether they like nuts and their brownies uh, and, 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 and having fun <laughs> that way. So um, I don't listen to the radio anymore. Uh, I stream everything. If I want music, I, there's, you know, Apple Music and Spotify. So, um, and when I want talk, I have podcasts like we're exactly, doing now. Exactly. So uh, it makes uh, uh, at least end with here with this that I was saying to John Kosian, who's a wonderful friend, mutual, of yours, mutual friend, another yeah. radio um, uh, uh, legend. Um, John and I met. I was like eighteen, and I said to John recently, um, I said, John, you know, I, I, we remember you remember Jordan dreaming about being in radio, emulating talk show hosts, preparing in your mind. So what do, high, what do kids dream of? They don't dream of being a radio talk show host. I wonder if they even dream of being disc jockeys uh, because, you know, the big companies own all the radio stations. Not like before, you, get, you know, you leave WRKO and all the other stations are independent. Now they're all owned by the same company. So um, anyway... So well, I uh, hope that answers your question uh, about reflection. It, it does. I, I have a few comments. One is that the podcast medium has been a great lifesaver because it, it allows for, well, truly narrow casting, but uh, radio on demand, I like to refer to it as. And here we are. We're, we're doing something on our own terms right now, and, it, and it's fabulous. It's so much fun. The other thing I would say is uh, what this recent pandemic, and as people listen to this, we're coming out of it, taught us more than, than ever before is the essential need for conversation, for connection. 
and that's what radio has always provided. Maybe not as much anymore. And I agree with you. The younger's, the younger ones are not really looking at it that the way we did. But I, looking at you, we're, we're talking on on the screen here, and I'm looking at Dick, and I see that smile, and I'm more importantly, the voice. Your voice has not changed one iota. Oh, thank you. No. And, and and neither has yours. And that's the the magic of the industry uh, because it's it's mostly imagination from from the listener's standpoint. And I just want to describe Dick. He's six two, uh, rippling muscles, long blow, long <laughs> flowing blonde hair. Jordan's kidding. And if you want to know what I look like, just do a, a, a Google search for Danny DeVito. Uh, <laughs> no, I just to me when I look at myself, I think my you know because I'm short yeah. and you know a little heavy and and all that. So I see pictures of Danny DeVito and I go, that's me. Here I am painting you uh, like Henry Cavill, you know, like uh, trying to right, trying to give you a Superman right. image. But that's just goofing around. Dick, this has been absolutely terrific for all the right reasons. Most importantly, because you and I are now reconnecting. And yes, you're in the great state of Florida. Do you ever come back up to Boston much or? Uh, you know, I, I have come a couple of times. Of course, you know, I, there's no way I'd ever come between November 1st and, no. and, and April 1st because of the, the, the weather. Um, but I, I haven't been uh, back uh, 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 very often. I, you know, I, I before we go, I just want to tell you, you probably, you have, of course, I'm sure you don't even remember it, but one of the greatest compliments of my life and career uh, came from you. For many years in Boston, there was a group called the Media Gang. And there were all, you know, all these, you know, the, the original Don Kent who did the weather and all of these people. And anyway, I would go all the time. You know, when you'd see a salesman from the radio station or the manager that fired you. And, and anyway, at one event, probably the last one I went to, I was sitting at a table for 10, but it was only two other people. This side was Larry Glick. This was Jerry Williams. And you, of course, hosted the events uh, all the time and were magnificent, are magnificent. And as you walked around the room moderating this whole thing, you would say, oh, look, here's Just Kane from WHGH. And you would acknowledge them and, and uh, talk to them. And as you got closer to my table, you said, well, look at this. Three legends in broadcasting, Larry Glick, Jerry Williams, and Dick Sia. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could have that put in a lucite frame. I mean, it's, it, for you to put me in, in even sitting at the same table with them, let alone in the same breath. Was, well, uh, uh, I remember those those events and it was a thrill for me to just walk among the tables anyway and and be with people I uh, adored and idolized. But I, I think the. The key here is uh, friendship and respect, and I think uh, you've earned it uh, from me, but also from many, many colleagues. And I, I got a feeling that there'll be a lot of reaction to this podcast. You're going to get a lot of uh, notes and emails and uh, pings. Oh, good. I hope so. You know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Dick Syatt, just, you know, uh, mm -hmm. no space or dot or anything, just Dick Syatt. Please, I, I, I do hear from listeners and people that got married from the show and all that. 
and and I respond immediately. So I'd love to hear from you. It's only one more pertinent question. You live in Florida. How often do you walk on the beach? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I... I maybe I'm 15 minutes from a beach that looks as if you were in Bermuda. I'm not a beach person. As a matter of fact, I grew up in Lynn near the beach and my parents used to yell at me all the time because I didn't want to go to the beach. So I've been a few times. um, But usually what happens is, you know, I bring the book and the grapes and the water and you get all set up and uh, within 15 minutes when I'm bored. So uh, uh, the last time I went, I got all set up. Everything I just told you, and I'm there now. I'm right by the water, and I've got the book. And an old couple over here was setting up their umbrella, and it uh, the wind took it, and the 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 uh, stick of the umbrella, bam, hit me in the head. Yeah, that's and that was the last time. I that's went. enough <laughs> to turn you up. Well, please say hello to Aunt Ida for me, if you will. Yes, I will. And uh, I owe you a dinner at uh, a very esteemed and fancy restaurant in the city of Everett. Anytime you're in Boston, we get together and we go to the A10 Bar and Grill and see Richie. Do you think we could get in? Or you have connections, you know. It- <laughs> every yeah, time I go, every yeah. time I go, I say, "Hey, how's Dick? Have you talked to Dick?" And he he always gives me an update. And I said, well, this time I'm going to be the one updating you, Richie. Richard Syatt, it was a delight. I can't tell you how much fun this was. And I love you to pieces. And we'll I'm do so it again. I'm so happy to just be in your orbit right now. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. It was a great, great fun. Such a great guy with so many wonderful stories. Dick Syatt. Be sure to follow Dick Syatt on Facebook. And if you connect, tell him Jordan sent you. Production credits. Thanks, as always, to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, to Ken Carberry and all the team at Chart Productions in Boston. And, of course, we'd be nowhere without you. So many wonderful folks picking up the podcast worldwide. And we really appreciate the growing number of positive reviews. That makes a big difference. To find out more about this podcast and about me and my book, On Air, My 50-Year Love Affair with Radio, and to connect with me, visit jordanrich.com. Till next time, as always, be well so you can do good. Take care.